If you enjoyed these podcasts, check out Byron Reese's newest book. It's about artificial intelligence and covers all the topics addressed on Voices in AI. It's called The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. And it's available now wherever fine books are sold. This is Voices in AI brought to you by GigaOM, and I'm Byron Reese. Today, our guest is Ahmed Abdulkader. He is the CTO of Voicera. Before that, he was the lead architect for Facebook's applied AI efforts, producing Deep Text, which is a text understanding engine. Prior to that, he worked at Google, building OCR engines, machine learning systems, and computer vision systems. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Cairo University and a Master's in Computer Science from the University of Washington. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Myron. Thanks for having me. I always like to start off by just asking people to define artificial intelligence, because I've never had two people define it the same way before. Yeah, I can imagine. I'm not aware of a formal definition. Uh, so to me, AI is um, the, the ability of machines to do or perform cognitive tests that humans can do um, in a, you know, le- or learn to do rather, um, uh, and eventually learn to do it in a seamless way. And we're trying to go ahead. Is a calculator therefore uh, artificial intelligence? No, the calculator is not performing a cognitive test. A cognitive test, I mean, vision, uh, speech understanding, understanding text, uh, and such. Uh, doing actually, in fact, the brain is actually lousy at multiplying two, you know, two six-digit numbers. So, which is what the calculator is good at. But the calculator is really bad at doing a cognitive test. I see. And where, if somebody were to ask you to describe the state of the art. Well, actually, before I go there, that's a really interesting definition because um, you're defining it not by some kind of an abstract notion of what it means to be intelligent, but you've got a really kind of narrow set of skills that once something can do those, it's an AI. Am, Am I understanding you correctly? Right, right. You know, I have a sort of a a yardstick or I have a sort of a set of tests that a human can do in a seamless, easy way w- without even knowing how to do it. And we want to actually have machines mimic that, right? You know, to some degree. And uh, yeah, these are very specific set of tests. Um, you know, we can, you know, some of them are uh, more important than others. And so far, you know, we haven't been able to build machines that actually, you know, get even close to the human behavior on these tests. But I'm a little, I'm, Help me understand how you how you're seeing the world that way, and I don't want to get caught up on definitions, but this is really interesting. Right. So, if a computer mm-hmm. couldn't read, couldn't recognize objects, couldn't um, do all those things you just said, but let's say it was creative and it could write novels, is that an AI? Uh, first, number one, this is very it's uh, it's hypothetical. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't call it AI. It's not, you know. So it goes back to the definition of intelligence, right? And then there's a natural okay. intelligence that, that humans exhibit, and then there are, you know, artificial intelligence that 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 uh, that machines will, you know, will attempt to make them exhibit. So uh, the most important of these that we actually use, sort of, you know, almost every second of the day, our vision, our, you know, speech understanding, our language understanding, uh, creativity is one of them. So if you were to do that, I would say this machine performed a subset of, of AI, but not, you know, haven't exhibited the, you know, the behavior to show that it's good at the most important ones being, you know, vision and speech and such. And when you say vision and speech are the most important ones, and I, I, I will move on a bit, a bit, but, but this is all uh, very, you know, uh, 80 guests in, nobody's ever really looked at the problem this way. So I really want to kind of understand mm-hmm how you're saying that because it would seem to me right those aren't really the most important by a long shot i mean like if i had an ai that could um uh diagnose any disease tell us how to generate unlimited energy fix all the environmental woes tell us how to do faster than light travel all of those things like feed the hungry and clothe and, and alleviate poverty and all of those things but it couldn't like tell a tuna fish from a from a, a Land Rover, I would say, well, that's pretty important. Like, I would, I would take that hands down over what you're kind of calling the more important stuff. I think maybe important is an overload word. I think you're talking about utility, 
right? So you, you're imagining a hypothetical situation where we were able to build computers that would do the diagnosis and you know, or, you know, poverty and such and stuff like that. These would be way more useful for us, or that's what we think, right? Uh, or that's that's a hypothesis. But uh, actually, you know, to, to do these, right, to do the tests that you're talking about, it probably uh, implies, in the you know, most probably, that you have done or solved to a great degree solves vision. It's hard to imagine that you'll be doing diagnosis without actually solving vision. Uh, so um, um, these are sort of the basic, uh, the basic tests that, that actually humans and sort of humans can do when babies learn and we see babies or children learn these as they grow up. So uh, perhaps the utility of what you talked about is, would be much more useful for us. But, uh, you know, if you were to define importance as sort of the basic skills that you can build upon, I would say, you know, vision would be the most important one. Um, language understanding perhaps would be the second most important one. And uh, I think having, you know, doing well on these sort of basic cognitive skills would enable us to solve the problems that you're talking about. Well, that's interesting. So, because in a way, what you said earlier, which is humans aren't any good at multiplying two six-digit numbers. Uh, right. and that's why we made calculators. It's like, it may be, though, that computers aren't any good at understanding natural language. That it's just too nebulous and too organic and it evolves. And every word I'm using, you're hearing in a different sense. And, I mean, it may be that that's just not a terribly useful thing like if you could do one thing, are you really playing to the computer's strength uh, by working on on that particular question? Right. So it's actually I think our our thinking is clouded by what we think or what we uh, uh, know or is commonly known as computing. There's this von Neumann architecture. I'm not sure whether you know. Mm -hmm. you know, heard this term before. This is sort of the paradigm, the you know, the computation paradigm that that you know, since then, you know, the the invention of computers early on that we've been actually using, right? And brains do not follow that von Neumann. There's sort of a some kind of a distributed parallel processing that goes on. In fact, neural nets early on they were referred to as you know PDP architectures, parallel distributed processing sort of architectures. So it is it is computation, but it's in a very different paradigm that we actually just were not. It doesn't mean that we cannot convert machines or cannot make machines, you know, do computation this way. It just everything that we've done so far until sort of recently, or or the majority has been sort of more of a von, von Neumann architecture, and it has to take a different change, you know, in the paradigm. Uh, it doesn't have to. By the way, we can actually achieve artificial intelligence not necessarily in the way actually you know brains think, but uh, or brains do it. I'm sorry, but doesn't mean that we cannot be inspired it cannot you know that, that we cannot be inspired by learning how the brain works um, uh, and uh, in no way it has to be you know done in exactly the same manner so when I say you know current calculators can do this and that and cannot because they have been built to do you know with a certain computation paradigm that is obviously not the not the adequate one for for performing these cognitive tests, and 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 the current trends in AI are trying to change that, uh, and implement it using the, the 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 hardware that was built originally for a von Neumann architecture. So, if somebody were to ask you to describe kind of the state of the art, like where would you say we are in the way you understand how you're describing AI? We're nowhere close. We're very far from mimicking that sort of behavior, but we're making we're making good strides, and it's kind of obvious to me that we're going to achieve that, uh, achieve these tests, or you know, build these uh, machines that would help us do cognitive tests, not in the way uh, that 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 brains do it. Uh, it's going to be different. It's going to be utilizing some of the strength um, that that sort of conventional computing has. And 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 brains and brains. Um, well, are you familiar with may not the, have. the European Human Brain Initiative? That project? No, not not. So not, it's um uh, it's a it's a multi-billion-dollar uh, project. It's it's been funded. It's European, and it really is actually trying to build. 
it's, 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 it's saying we know of one intelligent thing in, in the universe, and that's the human brain. So why don't, we, why don't we model how that works? So you're saying you think, generally speaking, that's a fool's errand? I, I would go as far, but I'm, I'm guessing, if I were to guess, that what we're going to, the machines that are going to be really useful and help us do this contest are not necessarily going to look like, uh, I mean, look at fly, look at flights. Do, do aeroplanes have, uh, have, have wings that sort of, you know, that, that we move in the air? Uh, do, do cars look like horses to you? It's okay to be inspired by these things, but, you know, they don't have to really look like uh, sort of their biological equivalents. You know, it doesn't have how do you, to, we don't need to. Mm-hmm. How do you think it is that humans do transfer learning so well and we have such mm-hmm. difficulty getting machines? Because I assume that that's really at the core of what you the kinds of problems you grapple with, that really has to be at the core, that the humans can, with the training set of one, uh, generalize and apply knowledge across vast domains that don't even look like they have anything in common. And yet, we're still at this this phase with with computers the way we, we do AI now, that you can solve a problem, and then that's sort of like, don't, you know, don't ask it to, to do anything else. So why do you think it is that we are so good at that? Yeah, so we, we've been, you know, most of, if you look at the latest sort of strides and latest trends in machine learning, we're, we're so focused on supervised learning. We need a lot and lot, lots of data to actually perform or learn cognitive tests. And it's very clear that humans do not do, not do that. There's a lot of, unsu- you know, I don't like very much the term unsupervised learning, but I'll use it for lack of a better term. And I understand there are lots of folks trying to coin a different term for it. But uh, we, you know, the, the focus, ha, ha, you know, in the past 10, 20 years have not been on unsupervised learning. And there's a lot of that that goes, you know, uh, you, don't show, you don't show your kid, you know, a million dogs and tell him this is a dog. You show him a few dogs and then they see structure and data right now. Dogs are not random beings. They, there's something similar about them that maybe we cannot explicitly <clears throat> say, but there's some there's some structure there that the brain does a very good job at capturing and abstracting. And only then you need just very few examples uh, to learn what you're trying to learn. And it's because I think the next few years, this is the next big challenge for, for artificial intelligence is unsupervised learning, is doing strides. And you can see that most of, like Cypher, uh, Cypher 10, which is sort of, you know, the equivalent of a NIST on, on sort of computer vision, there's a there's an unsupervised version of it. Uh, the next version of ImageNet is you know is going to actually be smaller or maybe the same size data supervised data set and a much bigger unsupervised data set. I think this is critical for uh, for us to actually uh, you know do do really significant strides in AI, do uh, you know significant improvements in unsupervised learning, and even coining it correctly. Yeah. So I I, I get your point about you know. We don't, we don't fly the same way birds fly. You know, we, we figured out a different way to do it. But, but do you believe we will be able to develop strong AI without understanding how it is that we are intelligent? Because we don't really understand even how our own brains work. So is, that, is cracking that riddle part of strong it's, AI? It's- it's not necessary, no, but we will be definitely inspired by it. We will discover, and we are discovering things about the human brain that actually helps us build better models, uh, artificial intelligence models. It's not a condition. I don't think we have to fully understand how the brain works to, to, uh, to, 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 to achieve that, but definitely discovers, dis- discoveries like this enlighten us big time. We've known, for example, that uh, the number of feedback connections in the brain are way more than the feed-forward connections for, for a long time. Neuropsychologists have known that for a long time. And, you know, hmm, do our models actually exhibit that? Not, not many of them. Actually, only RNNs only started, uh, you know, is, is, the, is the latest. And the you know, RNNs have been along for a long, long time, but they have only gotten attention only recently. And only recently we had the CPU power and the data to show that they actually add value. But for a long time, most of our neural networks did not have any feedback connections. Uh, also, it's known that 
the brain. So as you know, the current you know current models, it, it's uh, it's it's the um, they work in discrete time. There's no continuous time. The brain is not like that. The brain is, there's no concept of discrete time. It's a continuous thing, right? Uh, it's analog, right? Hmm. Can we, you know, maybe our models need to be analog. So things like that that we discover about the brain can help us, I think, in the limit build better, better models. But we don't necessarily have to crack it uh, uh, completely open. Uh, no, no, no pun intended. To uh, to uh, to 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 mimic its its behavior. We don't. You know, we have this nebulous term that is used the mind and the mind kind of a, a consensus definition on what that is, is it would be the, all the stuff the brain does that it doesn't seem like three pounds, a three pound organ should be able to do. And uh, you know, it, your, your pancreas uh, can't write a poem or at least mine can't. Uh, and yet your brain can. And where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's, a, it's some kind of emergence? Or wh how is it that, that these, you know, 100 billion neurons with incalculable connections between them come to do what they do? Do you have any theory on that? Or is that not even germane to the discussion? Because you were, you were, you were more, the examples you were given, which were, were all good, we're about architecture, but I'm talking about like we don't even know how to encode a memory uh, or read a memory right. or anything like that. So, is any of that even remotely necessary to figuring out how to make strong AI? Um, I wouldn't go far as far as necessary, but it's it, it's really good. So, I think there are two. I, I mentioned one of them, which is the sort of the continuous time, the analog nature of it. And that's a fundamental difference from what we're what we're doing, uh, and that the, the level of the information content, you know, that, that you have if you have an analog system is way more than a than a sort of a digital or discrete uh, quantized time signal. So that that sort of just you know orders of magnitude increases the you know sort of the information content, the amount, the, you know, content the size of the information that you can actually store. Also, the human memory is really weird. It's sort of like we, we fill lots of the gaps. Uh, we are able to abstract things. Um, you know, it's exhibiting associative memory. Like once I start to talk to you about the story, you somehow fill, you know, fill the rest of the details yourself from your past experiences. And you're, you don't really need, you know, need to store all of the details. So there's a very, very efficient way of storing things uh, memories and you know pictures and you know uh, uh, our notion of, of of certain concepts and people it's stored in a very very efficient way uh, something that we, we you know we're not doing that in our in our chips today so I think these two aspects are one of the most critical uh, that we need to think about and try to incorporate in the models that we're going to invent for the future so do you have so, so not only do humans have this brain that does these things we don't really understand and this mind that manifests additional abilities, um, but we're also conscious. In other words, we experience the world as opposed to just sensing it. So one can imagine a computer, you know, that <clears throat> can certainly sense the world, but it doesn't necessarily experience it. There's no, there's no self. Do you think that that notion of, of, of consciousness, of there being an experiential entity, there's something that is experiencing. Is that necessary for strong AI in your book? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, I'm not sure, but my sense is no, not necessarily. Conscious is a, is a, is a fairly subjective concept that we came up with, right? Uh, it's not clear to me what it means and sort of mathematically, for example, or, you know, uh, in a more objective manner, I think this is something that this is how we we we're, we're reasoning about it ourselves. This is our own language, but I, I don't think it has to be sort of done. It's more in my mind, it's more sci-fi than than uh, well, than, I, than a real I, thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess the mm -hmm. difference is if you stub your toe mm -hmm. and you drop your iPhone, mm -hmm. um, there's a difference between what your iPhone experiences and what you experience. You felt pain. The iPhone presumably didn't. And, and 
And is there a chance that that difference is your ability to perceive the world and make sense of it and order it and all the stuff that you do, all the, the magic that you can somehow muster, all of it comes from that simple trick that you actually experienced the world? Or, is, or, or do you think that's just science fiction? I think it's I think science fiction. I mean, this is how we sort of perceive it. Um, um, but but that doesn't preclude, you know, building systems that I, I like to call multi-sensory. There are few of these, like you know, few few of the systems. I haven't seen much actually. Uh, systems that we build that actually incorporate uh, m- multiple senses, you know, vision and, and sort of speech and you name it. Um, and and maybe we'll we'll you know that 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 thing that we call conscious is going to emerge when we build systems like that, uh, you know, sort of in a serious way that have these senses interact that, that are totally, you know, have very, very different sources, uh, sort of, you know, are incorporated at the same time into, into AI systems. Um, and once we learn that, once we learn how to do that, maybe this concept that we like to call conscious, um, sort of emerges and can be modeled, uh, objectively in a, in a, in a better way. Uh, and then, then we can understand it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm curious about is your the intro I read of of you at the beginning of the show. I actually pulled from uh, your website, and it describes mm-hmm. uh, deep text as quote a text understanding engine. Do you think that computers understand anything, or is that just a convenient way to speak? It's uh, it's somewhere between. It's actually our because we you know we're using a certain language, right? You know these are the terms that we have to. Um, uh, when we say understanding, means that we can abstract things. We can you know we can model them uh, with with a with a with a limited sort of uh, amount of information, and we can predict uh, either the future or missing parts or behavior of a human that we can't see. In a in a reasonable way, uh, you can you can call this understanding. This is how we express it to ourselves. Uh, is 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 how well we can predict gaps. Um, and so to wrap up on on this kind of highly theoretical thing, do you believe? So, the the range of people's opinions on when we'll have a general intelligence range from five years to 500, in in my experience, it's kind of my own little shorthand of just having people on the show and asking them and talking to people and whatnot. Do you believe that, where would you be in that continuum? I'm I'm on the higher end of things. I don't know about 500, but not definitely not five years. So we're nowhere close. Yeah. Right. So Mm -hmm. people who have that belief, um, generally feel a few other things. And I'm just curious, if, if this is true with you. So most people who believe it's far out believe, A, there's not some single discovery that's going to unlock general intelligence for us. Like, ah, you know, Eureka, we have it. That it's going to be a bunch of hard work and it's, you know, figuring out how to do a hundred things that are all kind of hard. Is that, uh, would you agree with that? Uh, I, I would agree, although, anyway, so it's going to be incremental. But there are going to be discoveries which are quantum leap that is going to, you know, super, you know, super uh, um, unsupervised learning, for example, is one of them. Well, that would be uh, the second so one. Right. That, yeah. That, yeah. that we're eventually going to be able to make a learner. You just point at the internet and it just takes it all in and figures everything out from that. That. Yeah. Essentially very, you know, some supervision, but really minimal. And lots and lots and lots of, of of structured data that is just not that is the, the problem with the word unsupervised. It's not really unsupervised. We're, we're kind of cheating. It is supervised. You know, these things are not random. But there and the structure. There's no explicit lear- learner. Nobody's explicitly you know uh, teaching us. We we discover this on our own. So there's a, there's you know there's a number of different discussions about AI that happen at any one time in society. One of the big ones going on right now is around automation and the the fear that these technologies are going to automate away uh, so many jobs that there aren't enough jobs in the future. 
other people counter that and say, you know, we've had a lot of automation in the past and that's never happened. What is your thought on the impact of these technologies on employment? Uh, it's inarguable, of course, it will, you know, definitely replace jobs and we're seeing it, but it's just, there are going to be new types of jobs. Uh, you know, we're going to, you know, direct our intellect to, to and, and abilities to solve other problems, to do other things. And that happened in the past and we're continuing to do that. But there is a responsibility by the government and, you know, and the like to, you know, change the education system uh, and, you know, adapt to the changes that hasn't been happening at the, you know, the right speed and, and, and train people and provide training programs for them to, to cope with that. My, this, my favorite cartoon is, uh, is an old picture of, of two people, I think in the twenties or something like that in a train reading the newspaper. And uh, at the bottom, it says, look at how new technology is stirring, uh, you know, the fabric of our society, that newspaper is causing people not to talk to each other. So it has always happened. Maybe it's happening at a faster pace uh, and, and we'll deal with it. But, but it, require, it definitely requires some attention and conscious effort to, to, to deal with that. So I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not scared of worried. There are going to be new, new, new skills and, and new tasks to be done. Uh, and they will, will find them out as we go. But uh, there has to be concerted effort to uh, adapt the education system in particular to cope with these changes. How would you change the education system? Well, clearly memorization is it's not like, what's the point in memorizing, you know, lots of equations, lots of events. We have, we have Google and others, right? So um, we, we have to focus clearly on more creativity, uh, you know, uh, and um, uh, dealing with, with uh, like any repetitive job will, will, be, will eventually be done by a machine. Um, even if it's, it requires some intellect, like di diagnosing, a, <laughs> diagnosing a, you know, a cancer, or diagnosing some, you know, looking at X-ray or looking at an MRI and doing that. It's, there's a little bit of an intellect in it, but it's sort of repetitive. Uh, so non-repetitive intellectual jobs, um, you know, the skill sets that are required to actually do that, education should focus on that. I feel the education system that we have was built by, by the great empires to create sort of clones to fill the jobs that these empires sort of needed. And we're way past that right now. And um, we, you know, most repetitive jobs machines, you know, can do them. And now recently with machine learning, even ones that, 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 that require some cognitive tests, we can do some of these too. So it's time to focus on the skills that are required for the, for the remaining set of tests. And it so, was creativity, right? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, what about, you know, there's also a vigorous debate about the use of this technology in warfare and specifically building weapon systems that can make autonomous kill decisions. And, you know, the debate goes, they'll, they'll on the one hand, they say they'll do it better than people because they don't get tired, they don't make mistakes, they think faster and all of that. On the other hand, people are like, you're building the Terminator. Um, what, how do you think that's, without even asking you kind of how you feel about it, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think that's going to shake out? Are we going to end up with uh, killer robots? Like it's just kind of inevitable? No, this is sci-fi. It really, really saddens me to see some of some really smart Well, no, no, wait, wait one second. Wait just a that, second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I don't know yeah. that it's sci-fi. I mean, a landmine is an, auto, is yeah. an, is an uh, artificial intelligence terminator device, right? It's a, it's a device that kills anything that weighs over 60 pounds. A drone is an AI terminator. A, um, a smart bomb is an AI terminator. The question is, They're are they going to yeah. smarter yeah. and smarter, right? Like, and so they, they, they exist. The, that's, not, that's not science fiction. <laughs> the question is, you know, like the Koreans already built a, a weapon system that uh, I, I'm going to get my numbers off just a little bit. It's like $24 million, and it can kill somebody four miles away, and it, it, it broadcast a warning before you are about to get shot or something like that. And the only reason they later put in a, a human has to authorize it is only because the customers were asking for it. But the technology to identify that is a person in a restricted area, and I will kill them. I mean, there's nothing particularly tricky about that, right? You said that that AI is going to automate uh, repetitive tasks. Well, killing people is as you know can be as repetitive as anything, right? 
Right, but this has to be initiated by human. I'm most worried about humans, and you know, humans cause way, a lot of damage over over history with very low tech <laughs> stuff. They didn't really need technology to create disasters. Uh, so, and that is the core of the problem, right? Of course, I mean, you, we're making them more lethal and we're making them easier to do, but you know, it's like just like any tool that we have, you know, can be used for good or bad. The problem are humans, and you know, the the kind of the broken system that we have uh, today and, you know, why, why are these th things happening? We're focusing on the wrong, this is not really a, the cause, right? We're focusing on the wrong thing when we say that. So, of course, the capabilities will, will, will increase and there has to be safeguards against that, has to be regulations, uh, it has to be oversight. Uh, uh, but I, I don't see that as the cause of, of the, you know, the, 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 the issue. It's just a tool. Uh, well, can be used for I guess, right. I, I mean, I hear you. Uh, it is a tool used for good or bad. I think the fear is that they increase asymmetry. So, you know, a nuclear weapon was always a big deterrent because it was incredibly hard to build one and expensive to acquire one. Um, a computer virus may not be the same. It may just be as simple as copying uh, a sophisticated AI from one flash drive to another for $3. So the idea that all of a sudden you empower a, a radical few to do vastly more than they could have done in the, in the, in the, you know, 50 years ago, I think that's really the concern. It is. And uh, <clears throat> I, you know, the disasters that we've had in human history were caused by, uh, leader, not by sort of by leaders of you know great countries who are you know so like I, I, I again I, I think we're focusing on the wrong sort of facet of the problem when we actually when we see that I, I'm not denying that they are more lethal I'm not I'm denying that you know that such phenomena that are going to happen but let's focus on the root causes of the existence of such problems in the first place and the necessity to go to war we're evading these kind of questions mm -hmm. when we only have to worry about sort of the, the, the tools that people are, you know, wh why are there conflicts in the first place? And, you know, I think these are more important questions to try to answer. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> so one more dystopian set up and then let's, let's put on our rose colored glasses and look, look at all the good that might come from all of this. So, you know, in the past, um, you, you may have thought like whatever government, is recording my call or can track me with my phone or keeps track of everything I post or whatever it is you think is going on. But you could always say, yeah, well, there's, you know, seven and a half billion people in the world. Nobody can really, uh, you know, I'm lost in this, this enormous amount of data. And now all of a sudden with artificial intelligence and not even science fiction level, like the kind of stuff you're building, um, mm -hmm. every phone call can not only be recorded, but it can be in your words understood. Um, I saw that, uh, that, uh, lip reading is now the, uh, AIs are as good as humans at that. And so any camera that doesn't have a microphone can read lips of everybody, every document, every, every single thing can all of a sudden kind of be is privacy therefore other than your private thoughts? Is that really the only thing you have left? Because in the end, so much of your life echoes on in some digital way that an AI can, you know, chew up and spit out. Are we seeing a different shift, a change in what it means to have privacy or, or is privacy just an outdated notion? Yeah, it's, it's between the last two statements. I think we, we just have to accept the fact that there's just, more, more of us that, that's being exposed. I still think that the, the amount of inf information that we have that, are, that is just being you know, shared and created every day, it's just very daunting to actually search in it. And from what I've seen, the technology is being developed, well, that it's, I think it's still pathetic. It's, it's very hard. I think it's very hard to search within, you know, through this information, but perhaps this will be solved someday. So we have to just get used to the fact that, you know, there's just more of us that that is being exposed these days, and just you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a change. And maybe you can argue it has been happening all the time. It's, it's gradual, but there has been a steep increase in it um, uh, recently. So yeah, it's it's just something that we have to get used to. And of course, there has to be regulations. There has to be oversight uh, to these uh, 
to, to, to these things and uh, more scrutiny. Um, but but it, it will happen, and we just have to get used to it. Well, let me actually, I'm, I'll throw one more of, of the dystopian side. I've actually, of course, anybody who listens to the show, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic, optimistic about these technologies. I don't think you kind of get all of the benefits of the optimism unless you're, you know, the price yeah. of liberty is eternal vigilance and the price of the price of an optimistic future is like being aware of these. I worry about two other things. And one is um, IoT devices being fundamentally non-upgradable. So that, you know, every every day, literally millions of new things get plugged into the internet that that have vulnerabilities, um, kind of by definition, and they cannot be patched. Um, is that concerning to you? You mean, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, every camera, every <laughs> yeah, internet right. toaster, every refrigerator, every car, every every everything that's connected. Uh, most of them are. They don't. They they don't have RAM in them, right? Like they have hard coded chips in them that we can't we can't update, we can't patch. Uh, so if you ever right. figure out how to exploit them, that that can't and, be and fixed. The, and yeah, I was stating because I th I think you and I know that they have been actually exploited. And we 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 there are reports that you know these vulnerabilities were found you know were found by certain sort of entities and they were not reported uh, to to because they are a way to actually uh, snoop on people. Yeah, again, this is, I mean, yes, this will happen. And um, I don't think vulnerabilities, it's going to be just a fact of life that, that uh, you, you could very well be monitored without, without knowing. And we just have to get used to that. Uh, at the yeah. same time, people, people will become more clever and will, you know, they will also, it's sort of a, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, it's a war, you know, people are also going to come on the other, you know, other side. Uh, with ways to actually be more private and try to, you know, keep more secrets and uh, warfare will continue, uh, you know, without any side winning, uh, every side is going to get better. Um, I hope it's that simple. I mean, I, I definitely believe that the whole, each side gets better and better and better. I worry about, like I said, legacy systems that can't be upgraded. And it isn't so much that I'm worried, you know, somebody's going to turn on my camera and see me walk through the living room in my underwear. I'm more like, you know, every uh, every convection oven that's connected to the internet gets put in, you know, cleaning mode for for twenty hours until it catches fire or something. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing, right? And then the last one is: Do you believe that our infrastructure in the West, or even specifically in the U.S., is inherently brittle? Like, do you think that our power grid um, is <clears throat> vulnerable, and, and and other systems like that are just so antiquated and that, that they are vulnerable to, uh, highly vulnerable to attack. And is that a concern? It is a concern, definitely. And, uh, and I, I think there has to be more, there has to be actually on the government level, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, it's kind of shocking to see that the government has not, like I'll give you, the government of France have commissioned uh, a member of the parliament recently who happens to be a mathematician who has a, a Fields Medalist uh, Award uh, to actually come up with an AI strategy. Um, I haven't seen anything like that in the U.S. Maybe perhaps President Obama had some uh, AI and big data advisors. But, you know, of course, I mean, I think uh, in general, even without AI, I think our infrastructure is outdated. It needs major, uh, you know, uh, improvements or re-architecture, if you will. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be that, you know, as, as expensive as, as people think. Um, but more importantly, there has to be, you know, AI's important enough, there has to be an AI policy. You know, what's, you know, what, what's the implications? As you point out, you know, what, what's the implications on, on government agencies? Um, even like, you know, the, the current crimes, cyber crimes and all of that, Bitcoin, all of that, just tons of things to think about. And I haven't seen anything close to that. I haven't seen anybody talk about it. Just, you know, uh, and disappointed about that. You know, it, the, the trick involved in it is, as political will aside, uh, as my very first question suggested, there's not even an agreement on what AI is. So, you know, it's 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 a hard, it's an inherently hard thing. You know, it's as nebulous a term as high tech, and so it's like we need a high tech policy. Uh, and, you know, it's just really hard to to just think what does that look like. Uh, sure, I don't think we we need to agree hundred percent on the. Let's just you know, it's okay. I think there is at least common denominator. Let's agree on it. 
it's a phenomena that is affecting everybody's you know life um, in in one way or the other, and it's going to affect e each one of us more. We we just can't ignore it. We have to be prepared, better prepared for it. And uh, I don't feel we need to agree exactly crisply on the definition to actually take such a step. To be honest. So we've 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 gone through all of the you know the jobs and the war and the infrastructure and <laughs> all of that. So now take a minute and and tell me in in your most optimistic view of the future, what's it going to look like? What's what what are we getting for taking all this additional risk? What is going to be awesome about the future of artificial intelligence? That uh, most mundane tasks will be done by machines in a better, most you know, more efficient way. Uh, the world is going to become more egalitarian uh, as a result. Uh, people are going to, uh, you know, uh, employ their intellect and uh, intelligence capabilities in doing things that give them satisfaction rather than things that they actually have to do to earn money. Um, uh, things are going to be more transparent. We're going to know more about uh, what's going on around us. We're going to actually get closer to each other, know more about each other's cultures, and, um, you know, languages, ideologies, and such. Um, we're going to come clo be, become closer to each other. Um, I think uh, <laughs> in the limit, this is my, you know, expectation slash hopes. Uh, the idea of borders and such, I, I think it will become ridiculous. We're going to, th this is something that, um, that exhausted its, uh, its utility. Uh, and we're going to come up with something else that, that actually brings us, brings us together and uh, help us manage the resources that we have on this planet together. So it's uh, maybe over-optimistic. Uh, maybe it's going to take some time, but I think this is, um, this is the ultimate uh, result, I hope. So starting with just a couple of those, the world will be more egalitarian. That's maybe a hard case to make because one thing about technology is it it makes it easier than ever to make a billion dollars. More billionaires now are self-made people than ever before. And technology allows you to touch so many people's lives that, um, that the ability to make vast sums of money seems to be going up. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if you had said, we'll, we'll solve poverty, that extreme poverty will vanish. But the idea that, that somehow the rich won't continue to get ever richer uh, I'm curious your thinking behind that. I mean, there are going to be rich people, but I think the the, the income gaps uh, are, I think, are going to be, I think, you know, become less and less. There are more opportunities. It's more of a meritocracy rather than like um, right now. You know, if you're born in the wrong place, you know, you know, wrong time or whatever, it's harder for you to make it. It's not, you know, it's less of a meritocracy. Technology is going to make it more. You know, if you, if you, if you really you smart if you have an idea you can actually make it there are more more opportunities and it takes a shorter period of time to try them out and less less sort of a risk uh, there are less things that are sort of cast in stone right people are uh, you know more creative and they have the tools to to experiment more uh, i think from this angle you'll see more people do it um and uh yes there are they're going to be maybe uh, people will make more money, definitely, but there are going to be maybe more of them. That's what I'm talking about. So when you're not thinking about all of this and the problems of the world and their solutions and, and all of that, um, you're the CTO at Voicera. Tell us about, tell us two things. How did, how did, how did that come to be kind of on your personal journey? How did you end up there? And then, Tell us a little bit about Voicera's mission and what excited you about that. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, as, as, you, as you saw from my background, I worked at various big companies. And they're all great companies. I learned a lot uh, about them, was mentored by great people. But um, I felt I can be much more impactful in a, in a smaller setup, much more efficient. So it was I, you know, the idea that, uh, that I would sort of leave and uh, try to do something small was, was always in my mind. In fact, I think I should have done it a little bit earlier. So uh, uh, I always thought that actually AI or machine learning, I like to call it machine learning more than AI, um, can actually have a significant impact on people's productivity, uh, something I, I'm, I'm very passionate about. And um, the, uh, 
voice remains the only modality in the work workspace that is hardly digitized. You know, we digitized everything, documents, you know, email, but voice remains like we all hate meetings. <laughs> um, we walk out to the meetings without anything or much uh, uh, tangible or many tangible things. We were not sure who said what and what did we agree on. And it just amazed me that this space is just still open. Um, there are some attempts here and there. One of the reasons is that actually speech recognition is one of the hard, actually amongst the other um, you know, machine learning problems, it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the hardest. Um, that is you know, causing a little hesitation on people to delve into that. So I spent, um, be before I left Facebook, a year, year and a half, thinking about ways for AI to improve people's productivity in the enterprise. And I shared a lot of the, this thinking with my founder, Omar, who, who was actually running a company called Blue Kai, which was bought by Oracle. But we used to meet a lot and, and talk about these things and did a little bit of, uh, of uh, skunk, skunk works on the side. We initially were thinking about emails, but very soon we discovered that the likes of Google and Microsoft who own, own email essentially can very easily uh, build anything uh, that, that, that we can build. But meetings, we didn't see that, that, that there's much attention paid, paid, paid to meetings. And we felt there's a lot, uh, the current state of the, the art and technology, there's a lot that can be done to make meetings much more efficient and much more useful than they are today. So yeah, we, so we started, we started officially January 2017. I joined in February 2017. And we, we built an amazing product since then. Uh, the beta is out, so you can use it now for free. Uh, we came up with this persona uh, called uh, Eva, Enterprise Voice Assistant. We have a male variant of it called Evo. Um, and uh, Eva joins the meeting as simple as just, uh, you know, sending her an invite. Uh, Eva figures out a way to join. Um, the least common denominator is telephony. You will we'll just call if she needs to. Um, and Eva records the meeting. Uh, during the meeting, you can actually interact with Eva using voice commands, instruct her to take notes or to uh, uh, remind you or to schedule a meeting. And we're working on expanding these, these, uh, these tasks. After the meeting, you can actually search for, for uh, when John said the word enterprise, for example. Uh, you, uh, if you didn't attend the meeting, you get some meeting insights to tell you what the meeting is all about. Um, what are the salient terms that were uttered in the meeting? Uh, sort of an X-ray that's sort of a skeleton of the meeting. What were the terms and the, the categories of topics that were discussed? The holy grail of, of, of what we are trying to build is a meeting summary in five or six sentences that you can look at and get a sense of what the meeting was all about. Um, at the end of the meeting, you get uh, very high accuracy transcriptions of the, the highlights of the meeting. Uh, whether the action items or decisions or, or something like that. Um, we, uh, we have over 1,000 users who are using us right now uh, on, on, on free basis. We're, we'll be rolling out uh, paid services pretty, pretty soon. And uh, we've learned a lot from their interactions and their feedback, and we improved the product quite a bit uh, since then. And uh, we and we have a ton, tons of features that that are uh, that are coming also that's going to uh, to to make it much more appealing. I'm curious why you um, named it, how you chose the name, and why you refer to it as her. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably my bad. No, we have two personas. I point out a male and a and a, and a, and a female. Uh, Eva was. Because it's you know the the it's it's an acronym for as I, as I point out enterprise voice assistant so it's more you know, more appealing but we also have an Evo uh, persona you can also refer to him as a male no but I mean um, I wasn't I wasn't talking about the gender in particular why would it have gender at all why like do you do you think that there's any um, potential risk in that as it were in that oh, right. Yes, and we we had we had people uh, uh, comment on that as well. Having said that, I think it's being a male or female, you know, having a gender is is something that 
perhaps people, especially in a, in a, in a, in a professional setup, maybe relate to more because, you know, there's, there's a presence of somebody uh, taking notes in a meeting, a human being taking notes in a meeting. So maybe it's more personable. Uh, that, 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 that is sort of the argument. But uh, uh, as I said, both, you know, both genders are, are, are available depending on your, just like a GPS, you can, you can choose to, to have a lady uh, give you directions or a gentleman. And so entice us with um, what do you, what, what's your vision? So is your vision, we don't have as many meetings and that the few we do have are going to be more actionable and, and so forth. Is that the kind of the goal? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. I was like, I was uh, telling my folks over here is like, wait a minute, we're, <laughs> we'll make people uh, need to meet less. And that's absolutely, uh, you know, the, you know, I wouldn't say goal, but sort of a, a consequence of, you know, because your meeting will become much more efficient. It will become shorter um, and you will not need, need to meet as, as much. Well, um, that uh, is, uh, that yeah. is, that you left out of your list of things about how awesome the future was going to be. And you won't even have to go to <laughs> as many meetings. So, yeah. um, Ahmed, when, when, if people want to keep up with you and what you're doing, do you have a, uh, a blog or how can they follow you and just keep up with uh, all the developments? I think LinkedIn, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hacker. I'm a dev. I spent most of my time coding. Uh, but, uh, uh, I've been asked to actually get into the habits of, of, of blogging, but LinkedIn, I, you know, link my LinkedIn posts that, uh, talk about the latest, uh, uh, what we do here is the best way to actually keep up with that. Well, excellent. I think it's a, it's an, it's a great goal. Um, and I, I, I certainly fully accept the premise that, uh, meetings are inefficient, uh, or at least the ones <laughs> I'm involved in. I could be the reason that they are inefficient. I do not know. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> no, I want to, Thank yeah. you so much for taking time out of your schedule and and going with uh, on on that journey with me through all these these different things and telling us a bit about what you're doing. So, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much, Byron. It has been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in AI, please check out the other ones. And in addition, Byron Reese hosts another podcast about AI called the AI Minute. Every day, it's a minute or two of daily reflections about AI. It's available wherever you find your podcast of choice. And in addition, it's an Alexa skill. So it can be part of your flash briefing every day if you own an Alexa device.